Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Spring to Life podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host slash hormone health coach, femme educator, Pilates instructor, and creator of the Spring to Life method. My goal is to promote feminine body independence and share stories of female resiliency to help you love your body more and unleash your inner superpower, your period. This week, I have a fun episode. It's about one of my favorite things, which is actually grocery shopping, if you can believe it or not. And we're going to be specifically talking about how to grocery shop for happy, healthy hormones. I know for some of us, it can be really overwhelming trying to figure out what you're going to eat throughout the week, what to buy. Maybe you don't feel comfortable with planning ahead. So this is going to kind of address just the basic staples that you can build a healthy hormone supportive diet around with as little stress as possible. Before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to give you a little update. If you follow me on social media, you may have noticed that I've been pretty absent the last couple weeks. I had been feeling really just burnt out on Instagram specifically and overwhelmed by TikTok in general and just not inspired to make content and I was really dreading even showing up on stories which is usually the only part of Instagram that I do enjoy partaking in. So I was just getting all of these nudges and I just decided that enough is enough. I wanted to share my content in my teaching with my audience in a more meaningful and lasting way. So I am taking it old school, working on a new blog to represent the Spring to Life Method brand and to be able to educate women and have all my resources really in one place. I'm also working on a lot of fun projects behind the scenes that are going to make working with me much more accessible and it possible for me to make a big impact in more women's lives at once, but still in a really effective way. So hopefully I will be releasing more details on that in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, if you wanna stay connected, if you want to get uh, just periodic updates and educational content in your inbox, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes for you to join my mailing list. I promise I don't spam you. Um, I don't love putting together emails either, so probably once a week at the most, you'll be hearing from me and it's always going to be something uh, good, something valuable. I get actually good feedback from people that are on my email list that they enjoy and look forward to my emails. So if you want to stay connected in that way, definitely head down to the show notes and fill out that form so you can get added to the Spring to Life Method email list. Now, whether you are trying to beat brain fog, achieve your ideal weight, regulate your cycle, or clear up your hormonal acne, addressing your hormone health is an excellent starting point. Nourished, happy hormones are the key to you feeling your absolute best day in and day out. But with so much conflicting information coming from every which way, this person telling you should do keto, this person telling you that, you know, 
Gwyneth's scoop diet is the answer to all of your problems and somebody else telling you intermittent fasting works and somebody else telling you it doesn't, uh, it can be really anxiety inducing and difficult to discern how exactly you should be fueling your body properly for nourished happy hormones. Luckily, eating for happy hormones actually comes down to a pretty practical formula. Once you are familiar with this formula, knowing what to stock in your fridge and pantry becomes second nature. So this formula is very simple and it is this, protein plus carbohydrates plus fat equals balanced blood sugar. Balanced blood sugar equals happy hormones. So that may sound like almost too simple to be true, but that's really what it comes down to. And I think the reason that that might seem like false or like how could that be the thing that's going to fix all of my problems or solve all of my problems, like help me lose weight or regulate my cycle or beat brain fog is because we've gotten so much uh, just, it's like taking something through telephone. Do you remember that game where you would like start with something, they would whisper into the ear of the person next to them. And then by the time it gets to the end, it's fat is evil, you know, carbs are evil. all of these artificial ingredients are okay because it's only a hundred calorie pack. So you have to clear out all of the excess noise, all the static and stick to the true basics here. So now that we know the formula, food is about to become less stressful and much more fun and functional. And I'm gonna walk you through the basics of that formula and how you are going to approach it at the grocery store. And at the end, I'm gonna tell you how I really simplify this process for myself so that week to week, I know what I'm going to be eating, what I'm going to be cooking and preparing for me and my partner so that we can be full and satiated, have healthy hormones and, just kind of take the stress out of that so that you're not scrambling at the last minute to figure out what's for dinner. So let's start with protein. This is the foundation of every meal you eat and there really should be three to four meals each day. We need a quality protein and this often comes as a surprise to women. It came as a surprise to me up until a couple years ago, but women need to be eating 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal to maintain healthy, balanced hormones and an ideal weight. So 20 to 30 grams, uh, so an egg, for instance, a single egg is six grams of protein. So to get the proper amount of protein in one meal, say it's your breakfast, you would need to be eating minimum three eggs, but that's only 18 grams of protein. So really four to five eggs. So that really kind of puts in perspective you know, think about what you had for breakfast today. Was it that much protein? Was it enough protein? And then you wanna continue that throughout the day. This is because protein provides the essential amino acids necessary for repairing and maintaining your hormones, your muscles, organs, your nervous system, your immune system, basically keeping your body in working order to have regular healthy periods and ergo healthy hormones. So. Personally, my relationship with protein has evolved over the years. I grew up in the Midwest where you just ate your meat and potatoes. 
Uh, as I became an adolescent, I was out on my own. I strayed into vegetarian and vegan territory, especially during my ballet career. Uh, there was the whole skinny bitch movement and kind of like the almost like militant scare tactic vegan movement. And that really, that scared me. And I didn't really know much about macros or protein at the time. But when I read Skinny Bitch and then was kind of dabbling in this vegan diet, I know for a fact I was not getting enough protein. And that is when I really started to experience more inflammation in my body. I had trouble building lean muscle tone, even though I was in the studio dancing four to six to eight hours a day. So that's that can be really damaging to female hormones. And I felt the effects of that. I didn't have a period for years and years. I was also constantly hungry, fixated on food, battling major sugar cravings, dealing with absent periods and also major mood swings. So I was just a delight to be around. Uh, so shifting to a diet rich in high quality proteins is a total game changer. Like who doesn't wanna feel satiated and also eliminate their cravings? Whether you like to meal plan for the week or have options on hand to be creative and cook something off the cuff, high quality animal proteins are a must. It's because they contain complete proteins. Uh, they have all of your uh, essential amino acids. So if you're eating a vegetarian diet of protein, you're going to have to be kind of food combining and supplementing to make sure you're getting the full spectrum of amino acids that your body needs. As you implement a diet rich in animal protein, reading labels is incredibly important because it gives you an indication of what life was like for that animal before it arrived in your local supermarket or your butcher, wherever it is that you're purchasing your meat from. Animals that lived a high quality life provide better quality nourishment for you and you will notice a difference in how your body feels too. So when you're at the store, there are a few key words that you should be looking out for on the label. Number one is grass-fed, and this applies to red meat. This means that animals were fed grass, their natural diet, rather than grains. In addition to being a more humane, grass-fed meat is also leaner and lower in fat and calories than grain-fed meat. Grass-fed animals are not fed grain, animal byproducts, synthetic hormones, or antibiotics to promote growth or prevent disease. A grass-fed label doesn't necessarily mean that the animal ate grass its entire life though. So if this is something you're really concerned about, you might to be looking for grass-fed and grass-finished. So there is that little bit of differentiation there. So this is a, an important note on the label when you're purchasing beef, bison, things like that. Next, we have sustainably or wild caught. So this is when we're talking about seafood. Sustain sustainably or wild-caught fish were bred and lived and caught in their natural habitat where they grew eating their natural diet, means that, meaning that they're healthy and nutritionally dense rather than farm-raised seafood, which is just really pretty gross and um, just not healthy for the animals or for the environment. There are um, some situations, I recently heard about a salmon farm where they are actually farming the salmon in the river where they naturally are running through. So they just have a portion of the river kind of cordoned off so that they can harvest the fish without really interfering with their natural life. This is something I'm going to be looking into a little bit more, but just do your research, read your labels, try to avoid 
farmed fishes and a lot of times those are also like dyed um, especially like if you think of salmon we think of that pink color some of that's not always natural so uh, if you can get more details on sourcing your seafood responsibly at seafoodwatch.org next on the list the label certified naturally grown this is an alternative to organic and it's for farmers who may find maintaining the usda organic label too costly or time consuming Regardless, foods with this label were grown using responsible soil management practices without the use of pesticides on plants or hormones or antibiotics on animals and plants that were grown without GMO seeds. So it is actually a pretty exhaustive and expensive process to be USDA organic. So certified naturally grown is kind of this workaround maybe for smaller farmers to still provide quality foods. Next, we have organic, and this label promises that animals were raised with outdoor access and pasture without antibiotics or hormones and were fed 100% organic grass feed. Excuse me, just 100% organic feed. And finally, pasture raised, this applies to uh, chicken, eggs especially. This is livestock and poultry that was pasture raised and were given the freedom to roam and graze naturally. There's a lot, especially with eggs, there are so many different labels on there. Cage-free is one that really, I think, or free range that gives people the idea that maybe it was a better quality. But cage-free just means they're not in cage, but they might still be in like a larger type of pen, really squished and packed together. And a good way to gauge the quality of your eggs is just to look at the color of the yolk. If you were to crack uh, a conventional egg and a pasture-raised organic egg into the same bowl, you would 150% be able to tell the difference because the conventional egg is going to be uh, yolk and white, almost the same color yellow. And in a pasture-raised organic egg, the yolk is going to be a very deep orange color in contrast to that lighter yolk. So that's a good way to gauge whether the quality of your eggs is good or not. I personally love the convenience of meat subscriptions like ButcherBox. I'm currently using Good Chop because I can just stock my freezer for the month and pull from that and I know that the quality is really good. So that can be an option if you really want to simplify things when it comes to the proteins. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about how I work this into my meal planning process towards the end of the episode. So next in our equation is carbohydrates. And carbs have long held a bad reputation between low carb diets like Atkins and keto and the gluten-free movement. Carbs have definitely been demonized in the media and in pop culture for the last two to three decades, I would say. So if you're like me and you've secretly been clinging to your carbs or wishing they would make a comeback, you will definitely like what I have to say next. Carbs are the good guys. Carbohydrates are owed many credits like providing energy, supporting immune function, calming your nervous system, and aiding the production of thyroid hormone. And they are necessary input to be a healthy functioning woman. In fact, it has been shown in studies that low carbohydrate intake is correlated with unfavorable iron, immune, and stress response to exercise. So you literally need energy from carbohydrates to perform well in exercise. And you can add to that the fact that women do not get, when we don't get enough carbs, our brains reduce the production of the neuropeptide kisspeptin, 
which is responsible for sex hormones, endocrine, and reproductive function. So if you're not getting enough carbs, your brain is like interfering with the production of your sex hormones. It literally recognize a lack of carbs as an emergency situation. So you need to have carbs and it just comes down to choosing them well. So it's not surprising that eating low carb long-term can actually have harmful hormonal side effects like irregular periods and anovulatory cycles because your body registers the lack of carbohydrate energy as a stressor. If you are also under a lot of stress, either mentally, physically, or emotionally, this issue is then going to be compounded. So like I said, I've been secretly hoping carbs would be the answer for a long time. I've had a love affair with carbs for as long as I can remember. Potatoes were my favorite food when I was little and my love for french fries has endured. So when I dove into my hormone healing journey some years back, one of my biggest fears was that giving up gluten would actually solve my problems, thereby eliminating gluten from my life forever. But I couldn't avoid it any longer. At some point, I was just like at my wit's end with the symptoms I was experiencing. So I mustered up the courage to give up gluten for four weeks. I did the Miracle pH diet, and to my surprise and horror, I lost close to 10 pounds of water weight and most of my digestive symptoms cleared up. So I was like amazed and like, like I said, surprised and horrified, happy, sad at the same time. Fortunately for me, I do not have celiac disease. So there are varying levels of like reaction to gluten. You can have a wheat allergy, you can be sensitive to gluten, or you could have a celiac disease, which is very serious and you need to not eat gluten because it's very disruptive to your digestion. I'm not allergic to gluten. So since healing my digestion, I've been able to tolerate high quality gluten in moderation. Sourdough and semolina flour pasta are not daily staples for me, but they are in regular rotation in my diet with little to no symptom flare-ups. So this is evidence that while some carbohydrates containing gluten can have have negative inflammatory effects, not all are created equal. And I could go on and on about gluten for a long time, but what happens when you've been eating conventional gluten for a long time and maybe you've got some other issues uh, preventing nutrient absorption, (laughs) hormonal birth control, uh, then all of that gluten, it just kind of like globs up in your digestion. You eventually, Uh, get some perforation in the intestines. That's when SIBO and leaky gut comes up. So you have to clear out and heal your digestion. And then when you add in those higher quality gluten products, that's when your body is able to tolerate or you're able to confirm that you maybe do have a wheat allergy. So if carbohydrates are not the problem and gluten is not the root of all evil, how do you begin choosing which carbs to keep in the house? It's safe to say that most of the carbs you find in the produce section of the grocery store are a green light complex carbohydrate. It's sugar. That's the carb that you need to be on the lookout for, especially in packaged foods where added sugars are sneaky and abundant. So basically carbs, naturally occurring carbs that you find in the grocery store, which is most fruits and vegetables, those are great. Those are great sources of energy. It's when you get into all these additives, things that are packaged, things in the middle of the grocery store, in those aisles, that's when you need to be on the lookout. So sticking to complex carbs can actually have an anti-inflammatory effect on your body. 
If you remember before I mentioned that it could actually calm your nervous system. So some examples of complex carbohydrates, and this is not an exhaustive list, just a little quick rundown. We've got our whole grains, quinoa, brown rice, jasmine rice, basmati rice, all the rices, millet, buckwheat, gluten-free oats. There's lots of gluten-free grains out there that are more um, ancestral. So especially if you are thinking about eliminating uh, wheat or gluten from your diet for a while, uh, investigating some ancestral grains like millet, buckwheat, um, things like that can really broaden your horizons of what is possible and get you making more creative recipes and also satiating that kind of craving for that like gooey, gluteny type food. Uh, next we have starchy vegetables, sweet potatoes, butternut squash, acorn squash, corn, yams, pumpkin, potatoes, beets, turnips, carrots, root vegetables, basically, uh, fiber rich fruits and veggies, apples, bananas, berries are great. Melons, things like that are so good for you. And then we've got our legumes, lentils, split peas, azuki beans, all, all the beans, chickpeas, uh, mung beans, kidney beans, um, and also, this is a fun time to also like play with some rice or chickpea pastas. I really love bonza. There's a lot of great uh, lentil, chickpea, rice, quinoa-based pastas that also are going to pack a punch when it comes to protein. So you're not just carb loading, you're also getting some protein in there. And I love playing with different pasta dishes with those types of noodles. So whole grains and starchy vegetables make excellent side dishes to complement your protein. So now we're talking about how you're starting to build this into a meal. I really love using the EWG, the Environmental Working Group's Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen list as a way to determine which items should be purchased organic or conventional. Um, this is something that I like to be mindful of because conventional varieties can be really high in pesticides, but there are some types of fruits and vegetables in the grocery store that are conventional that are low in pesticides. So having those lists at the ready can be uh, really helpful and help you save some money in the grocery store as well. And then when it comes to your whole grains, buying and even your legumes, your beans, buying from the bulk section can be a huge money saver because you're buying bulk and you're not getting just that prepackaged amount. So in terms of quantity, Dr. Lara Bryden, who is an excellent resource, uh, naturopathic doctor who works a lot with women's health, she's written many books, suggests women get around 150 grams of carbohydrates each day. And when you're sticking to whole food sources of carbs, this is a pretty generous amount, including at least a serving at each meal. So if you're very active or working out a lot, your needs might increase. Okay, the final element of our equation is fats. So this one I feel like is so loaded. For me growing up in the 90s, fats were villainized. Everything you saw was low fat, fat free, because the narrative was that eating fat made you fat. Once I got to an age where I was more aware of these narratives around food, I remember becoming incredibly self-conscious about my food choices, feeling guilty for choosing more fatty foods like nut butters, cheese, and even avocados, which I now know are healthy for you. The truth is that fat is vital for brain function, hormone production, metabolism, energy, immunity, and inflammatory response. These are all very important bodily functions. 
It's the source and the quality of the fat that matters. Good fats, healthy fats, are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, which are anti-inflammatory for the body. So the healthiest sources of fat are avocados, olives, coconut, nuts and seeds, raw nut and seed butters, oils like avocado, olive, and coconut, grass-fed butter and ghee, and then fatty fish like salmon, mackerel, tuna, and eggs. As an added bonus, rounding out your plate with a healthy source of fat will contribute to your feeling of satiety and keep you feeling fuller for longer. A healthy amount of fat is about 75 to 80 grams per day. So I like to think of it more as like a condiment or a finishing touch for the meals. Unfortunately, many packaged foods in the grocery store are adversely high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are pro-inflammatory. They are often full of industrial seed oils that are derived from GMO crops that are oxidized and then laced with additives to hide how rancid they are when you actually consume them. So they're pretty gross. And the unhealthiest sources of fat are canola oil, corn oil, cottonseed, grapeseed, rice bran, safflower, soy, and sunflower oil. So the next time you're at the grocery store, I really want you to put your detective hat on and take a moment to read the nutrition labels if you are buying packaged foods, because chances are when you scan the ingredients list, you're going to find one of these oils in like 95% of the things that you pick up off the shelf. So it's really important to be reading the labels and being mindful of where your sources of fat are coming from because you could feel like you are eating a really healthy diet. You're, you know, following this to the T and you feel like you're eating really clean, but your salad dressing and your coffee creamer are full of these seed oils and added sugars. So that's just an example off the top of my head, but they can be hiding in really sneaky places. And if you feel like, wow, I'm eating so clean, what is the issue? You need to think about, okay, where is my fat coming from? And then two, am I balancing my meals of, with this equation, protein, carbs, fat, to balance your blood sugar? And you wanna get that 20 to 30 grams of protein plus the carbs on the side and then your fats, you've got your starchy vegetables and your fruits and your grains and all of these things. So this equation hopefully is showing you that eating less is not necessarily the answer to your problems, even if you are trying to achieve your ideal weight or you know whatever the thing is, sometimes you need to eat more. A lot of times the answer is eating more. So that is how you kind of navigate the labels and that's how you start to approach your grocery shopping. Now, that was still kind of like meta, right? That was like on a macro level, macronutrients. So that's the equation. That is how you grocery shop for healthy hormones. But that's still kind of like macro, right? Macronutrients. How do you effectively grocery shop for the week without overspending or having too much or, you know, without feeling overwhelmed by the entire process. So I mentioned before that I like to use a meat delivery, a meat subscription service, and that allows me to kind of take one piece of this equation 
off of my plate, so to speak. So I have my freezer stocked for the month with steak, chicken breast, chicken thigh, a pork roast usually. We'll have some burgers. I like to have ground beef and like beef stew meat that I use for soups and pastas and like tacos and things like that. So what I will do when I'm gonna go grocery shopping the day before or like right before, I'm gonna take out of the freezer the however many days I'm planning for, whether it's five or seven days, five to seven proteins. I'm gonna take them out of the freezer and put them in the refrigerator to thaw. Then I go to my little notebook and I write down each of those proteins that I have chosen for the week. From each of those proteins, I decide what kind of dish that I wanna have. So for example, I just went grocery shopping today. I took out two pounds of stew beef, one pound of ground beef, four small sirloin steaks, and some chicken thighs. So I'm looking ahead about five days here. So with one of the stew beefs, we're having taco bowls. So what do I need with a taco bowl? I need some rice, I need um, some beans, I need a little bit of cilantro. I like to make a fresh pepper pico de gallo. So I wanted some peppers and onions and then some cotija cheese. So I'm gonna write in my stew beef taco bowls and then the ingredients that I need from the grocery store underneath that. Next, we're gonna have some chicken thigh fried rice. So I looked at my recipe, what do I need? I'm already buying rice, so I don't need that. I need a bell pepper and I need some cilantro and I need some scallions and an onion. So I'm gonna write in the ingredients for each of the meals. So then I have all of my meals planned out. So I do this for my dinners. I'm at home during the day, I make my own lunches. I usually try to meal prep, so I'll use the same equation, same process for that. And then there's the extras, the you know fruits for breakfast, the olive oil for cooking, the butter, the yogurt, things like that. But that keeps me really on track. It makes me have all of the ingredients that I need throughout the week. And it prevents me from having too much food waste because I'm just buying random things off the shelves. Now, I do allow myself some freedom when I get to the grocery store because you always see something maybe that's on sale or that looks really good or that you wanna try. So I allow some wiggle room and I buy some fun things as well but I really try to stick to my list. And if I go to the grocery store without a list, forget it. It's like game over. I will either come home with a bunch of nothing. It's like when you get home from the grocery store and you spent $150 and you're like, what did I even get? What can I make with this? So don't go hungry and bring a list. Those are my two recommendations. If you would like some more in-depth information on grocery shopping for happy hormones, including snacks, beverages, herbs, and spices, and even a sample shopping list, you can check out my guide, Grocery Shopping for Happy Hormones, and I'm just gonna link that in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Spring to Life podcast. I hope you found this episode informative and educational and maybe got a little bit of a takeaway from this. Please check out the show notes for the resources I mentioned. 
the mailing list sign up. I will link some of the uh, resources I mentioned during the episode. And if you learned something new or if you resonated with this conversation, please share. You can tag me in your Instagram stories. I'm at Spring to Life Method. I would love if you could leave a five-star review for the show or simply share it with a girlfriend because all women deserve to know their superpower.